2: And we're recording, and we don't have Annette Hinkle this week, and so you're stuck with me, unfortunately. Uh, we do have a couple of terrific guests this week and a really interesting topic, though. So uh, <laughs> we'll get right to it. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. That person we just heard from uh, is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill.
1: Hey, Joe. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
2: We also have Brendan O'Reilly with us. Hey, Brendan
1: hi joe hi everybody i'm brendan i'm the deputy
3: managing editor
2: and we have two guests uh this week to have a conversation that is brian polite he is the chairman of the shinnecock nations board of trustees hey brian how are
4: you good afternoon everybody thanks for having us
2: good to have you here and we also have tila troj who is an attorney and she's also a member of the tribe's graves protection warrior society and you uh did a lot of work on the topic of our conversation today. Hey, Tila.
5: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: So uh, congratulations are in order, I guess, because the news is that the New York state is going to have a graves protection law for the first time, which is still mind boggling to me, uh, that until until now, uh, New York was one of three states in the nation that didn't have any type of legislation in place to protect uh, historic graves when they were uncovered. And uh, so let's talk about where things stand. Um, last year, you had gotten a bill with working with Assemblyman Fred Thiel, because this has been uh, a topic he's been working with the tribe. And many of the New York tribes have been working together on this issue, right? Uh, it's been an issue for all the tribes. You guys were, it was able to, to get legislation through last year, but it was vetoed by the governor but this year the legislation went through again this time it's going to be signed as part of the budget proposal do i have the the facts correct on that that's correct okay so it will go into effect once the the state budget is approved um and and i guess that's just a matter of getting the governor's signature on on the overall legislation right correct so Tila, tell us a little bit about what, one of the things that I found interesting was this legislation that was approved this year is actually a little stronger than the legislation last year, but because it was part of the budget proposal, the governor was willing to, to sign it. Can you tell us a little bit about how this legislation works? What, how does it provide those protections?
5: so this is a really strong piece of legislation a lot of really careful considerations on all sides of the issue went into crafting this bill um there's a number of deterrents to desecration built into the bill um up to class e felony charges for violations of the bill um but I don't like to think of it as something that is meant to be a penalty, while in some cases like that is important. The way that the bill is structured is um, in such a way to bring people together. It brings together the state archaeologist, It brings together lineal descendants of those um, whose remains are found. It brings together the property owner and it brings together a committee composed of all of the recognized tribal nations in New York. And it creates a process by which all of these people can work through because what happens right now when there's inadvertent um, uncoverings of human remains, nobody knows what to do. There's no set procedures, NAGPRA doesn't apply. And sometimes um, things that, threaten human dignity happen to human remains. They're carted off to landfills, they're sold on the black market, um, they're passed on to institutions. And by the way, we still have thousands of our human remains and funerary objects scattered throughout institutions in this country. And that's something that we're working um, on correcting um, together with the work that we're doing with this legislation. Um, but one of the, the, the strengths that you talked about um, in this news version of the bill is an increase in the timeline, because in order to get everyone together and to do proper notification and to strategize for mitigation and um, hopefully make plans for preservations of these burial sites, um, we need time. And we were running into an issue where the executive um, was not willing to give us the appropriate time. We did make some concessions with the timeline. We really wanted to see um, a six-month time a timeline, um, because when these things happen, I mean, there there's no one set of facts. It could look like. A scenario where we have one set of remains unearthed, or we could have a mass burial site that is unearthed, um, and each case will be really dependent on 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 how long it takes to, um, to come up with a plan to move forward.
1: And, and just just to just just to frame just to frame it, what we're talking about the most of the time when when these remains are unearthed, you're talking about new construction on on undeveloped land and and people start digging and and all of a sudden they're they're unearthing the, these remains just to just to clarify that i mean that's most of the instances correct
5: correct and and it relates to both residential and commercial um, construction typically on, on vacant parcels
2: and you wanted 6 months and the counter was 10 days i believe right yes um, So where did it land?
5: So there is um, some provisions where you look at the timeline of the bill that um, retain the 10-day period. There's others where we were able to get... 60 days there's other instances where we're able to get 90 days and it's each time something is triggered in the bill like there's a notification trigger um, and there's meeting triggers and there's um, triggers for the state archaeologists to act and so all of these things we are able to negotiate in most cases um, an increased time time period, again, to allow the process to work. I don't think there's any point in having legislation just to have legislation. This isn't a bill that we just wanted to put on the wall and say, yay, we finally did it. We want a real workable process that meaningfully brings stakeholders together to create, um, again, mitigation plans that respect um, respect our ancestors and the ancestors um, of those who were enslaved in this country, as well as uh, the first patriots of the American Revolution, who are often um, disturbed in in this state uh, in commercial construction.
3: Hila. Hmm. So on the east end of Long Island, we have the Community Preservation Fund, and it has in fact been used to buy up a site where a house was going to go so that it could be preserved to not disturb a Shinnecock burial site. What does this legislation mean for other areas of the state that don't have a funding source like we have on the east end when they run into this and you have a builder who paid a lot of money for a piece of property and expects to be able to develop it? How do they resolve that situation?
5: I think that's a really interesting question. I think that throughout the state, um, there are a lot of land trusts and land trusts are in the the same business as grave protectors are in purchasing and protecting and preserving land. So I think that, you know, as opposed to like a more public um, use of funding like CPF, there's opportunities for private funding um to preserve and and protect these um land land um issues i think that you know conservation and protection of of graves really goes hand in hand but the thing is is that there's no one set solution to this we can get as creative as we need Um, we just again need that convening and and meeting of the minds to to do the right things towards um, these remains. And so I think that each situation will be so different, but I don't doubt that in each situation we'll be able to come up with a, a solution that um, benefits all all impacted and affected parties.
1: What, what do you guys what's what, what's the preferred solution if if, if um, r- remains are unearthed? And, and obviously it takes time to identify whether, whether they're shinnecock or or whether you know it it's something else, and I know that you know in the case Brendan was talking about, it, it seemed like it was a large burial site, and 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 that was protected. And in other instances, it seemed like it it may be more um, in individual sites. Of, and correct me if I'm I'm wrong on that, but um, it, it, at times you've moved those those remains, or or they're or they're reburied with. Um, um, with, with proper um with, with dignity and with a proper you know ceremony and, and all that what what do you guys prefer what's the Brian what's what's the the, the preferred um, mediation there solution there
4: well I would defer that question to the expert uh Miss Tela Trochu uh, has really been a guiding um light for the tribe and for the organization of the um, Warrior Society the uh, Graves protection warrior Society but obviously the best, possible ways to leave them undisturbed. Obviously, as Tila was saying, there's not going to be a solution that is is workable for everybody. That is the best way to preserve um, a burial site is to leave it undisturbed. But um, with this uh, specific legislation, I'll let Tila kind of take the lead on what the Shinnecock position is.
5: That's absolutely right. And it was also one of the biggest contentions of the bill. Um, As Joe said before, the, the bill was vetoed. And that was because we couldn't come up with an agreement of what to do if no uh, mitigation plan was uh, approved by the, both the landowner and the state archaeologist and the Committee of the, of the Tribal Nations. Um, in the bill that was vetoed, the property owner would have the right to remove the remains um, from their land and continue on with their development and that was unacceptable to us and so we had tried to remedy um, some of our biggest concerns uh, through a chapter amendment process and so through that chapter amendment process you, we see the bill get a little bit stronger um, but it wasn't quite where we needed to be um, we wanted um property owners to have to engage with the state archaeologist in the worst case scenario that remains had to be removed from the subject parcel. And so um, we're hoping that through this process of coming together, we can avoid that. But we do recognize, again, in the worst case scenario that human remains may have to be removed. Um, through our experience in negotiating Southampton's bill, one of the reasons why it took decades and we couldn't come to an agreement with the town was because the town's ultimate position was that our burial sites and our human remains and their funerary objects would best be protected by being removed mm. from the development site. And it 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 really um it it goes against our traditions and culture and um and it's it's uh not something that we ever um hope to see happen um but was one of the hardest points to negotiate um with the executive but again we were um, successful and now the property owners will have to retain um an archeologist in in that event to remove the remains in a way that is uh, uh, done with dignity and respect.
2: So that's a compromise that you were forced to make is that in at least some cases, uh, and and I'm guessing other mitigating uh, strategies can be in place too. You can, if it's the property's big enough, you can build somewhere else on the site and just leave that part of this, the grounds undisturbed right there, there are yes, other that's options our
5: preferred option
2: but but you're you you have been willing to compromise to allow relocation of remains in some of the instances now
5: yes and we were able with that concession to um to get cultural monitors from the lineal descendants um of those remains. And so um, whichever tribal nation or group is affected uh, would be able to appoint their own cultural monitor to make sure that uh, removal was done um, in the customs and traditions with respect um, as much as that can be a thing um, in this instance.
2: It's something you keep control of at least.
1: I'm, I'm just curious, and, and Joe mentioned you know moving moving the construction to another part of the property. But if if single remains are are found, is it likely though that there are other other remains in in the same vicinity? And um, are there are there protections? And so if a, if single remains are are found, then then the entire property, I imagine, would need to be um, inspected to make sure that there aren't other remains there.
5: That's correct, and we have absolutely wonderful and amazing technology called ground penetrating radar right. it's that it's not intrusive it's easy to use it's very quick and um i think it's just a, you know it's a modern solution to this problem um you know once remains are unearthed you can bring in this equipment um and uh just make sure that you again avoid and mitigate and 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 you know maybe redesign your plans a little bit
1: Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sack Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles, very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit southamptonsackharborbooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions.
2: Brian, Tila had brought up the fact that um, after decades and a lot of uh, lobbying by the Graves Protection Warrior Society and the nation in general, you were able to get Southampton Town to adopt some graves protection legislation a few years ago, a couple of years back. And so you you have had that kind of protection at the local level for some time now. But Brian, I'm curious, this state law how does that change? So, so for the Shinnecock Nation and your territory, does that tighten the lead, tighten the rules at all? Or is this really just an effort to make those rules apply to, to other communities as well, where there were Native American settlements and there might be burial sites?
4: Yeah, well, ever, anytime that you have a local law and then you have a state law, obviously the state law strengthens um, that local law, especially when it comes to litigation. Um, and developers sometimes love to litigate on um, these issues and will say that the town's law violated New York state law or something to that effect. So absolutely, anytime you can get a New York state law that codifies something that you did on the local level is, is a really good thing and a positive step forward. One of the things we've been witnessing uh, with the Southampton law, and it was a good effort um, by the Shrinecock, um tribal members, the government and also the town board, is implementation. Um, and so hopefully this law um, gives the local law more teeth and the implementation is a little bit better because there has been several hiccups uh, with that implementation.
2: How many uh, nations are involved? were involved in this effort at the state level?
5: There were five nations who came together. Um... Uh, as part of the three-way negotiation. I guess there's really a four-way negotiation in this instance yeah. um, between the tribal nations, the executive, the Senate, and the Assembly.
4: Yeah. And I think that needs to be really highlighted during this process is that the Native nations of New York really came together, um, and tried to speak as one voice and really strategized, met with each other, kind of historic, honestly. Um, when you look at the collaboration of the New York tribes um on this and uh, Tela was a big part of bringing those tribes together. It's not always easy, um, but a lot of the tribes, although we have different regions and we're in different regions of New York and we have different histories um, in New York. Uh, I think the Graze protection really brought us together on a common goal um an effort that I know not only our tribe has been doing for decades, other tribes have been doing for decades
1: as well. But you guys had been successful in Southampton town some were, were you guys, were you kind of leading the way as a model of, of of how the how this would work and and demonstrating that to to some of these other um, other
5: nations? I don't think we needed to demonstrate it um, to the other nations, but when the the veto happened, when we couldn't kind of come to an agreement um, through the chapter amendment process, the other nations reached out to us and shared similar concerns. This is obviously a statewide bill but it was driven by downstate issues because we are disproportionately affected by rapid development of like a very diminishing land base. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, uh, experience this at a higher frequency than the upstate tribes. Um, However, for example, the Seneca Nation um, was having... um, A dispute with the state of New York around the Buffalo Bills stadium and um, and and part of the problem of which there are many (laughs) and I won't get into them now, but the uh, portion of the stadium was. set to desecrate a Seneca burial site. Mm. Um and so they were very concerned when when this bill that would provide protections from desecration was vetoed. Um, by the governor. And so they reached out to us. And so, um, again, as Joe said, what we have now is a very strong bill. And that was because of deliberate negotiation from the tribal nations um, to enforce protections. And, And it was, you know, a process that involved all of the tribal nations sharing their experiences, their problems, their situations, and um, we were able to craft the legislation in a way that um, that you know it 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 helped to give a process that would would. End some of the, the chaos and the uneven application of the law, even the Southampton law, like it didn't, it doesn't provide the protections or even the process that the statewide legislation does. And so when we, we, you know, we all experience these things as, as tribal nations. We have all been impacted by um, our ancestors' remains being disturbed and desecrated and treated so disrespectfully, and so it was a very um, natural process to come together. Um, but I, I don't think that the the executive um, has um, experienced. Um, such a strong, such a strong joining of the tribal nations. And, and I think that's really what got this legislation over the finish line.
4: Absolutely. And I would just note that we also had support from the United Southern Eastern Tribes, said organization, which is over 30 tribes on the eastern seaboard and in the south and also the National Congress of American Indians. So as Tila said, this is not just a local issue for us, even though we're disproportionately affected. It's actually a nationwide um, issue, but a lot of those states have protections that New York State didn't. So um, we have a lot of support on the national level from a lot of tribal
1: organizations as well. Uh, obvious, obviously, you you always want to keep looking forward. But is is there is is there an an element, especially as as Tila pointed out, with the the rapid development on on the East End, is is there an element of of too little, too late, or 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 is it strictly looking forward to you know what what can be protected and 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 saved now? Well, I think just saving one uh is
4: not too little too late, obviously, um, but I think you know even if it was overdue, long overdue, at least it's here now, um, um and we can work with that just like the Southampton town bill wasn't perfect, and we had to work through that. um this bill probably won't be perfect, no legislation is. Um, And we'll keep working to try to fundamentally um, preserve the Shinnecock Hills, which is, again, a very um, ancient uh, burial site of our ancestors. And that is the goal, um, is to preserve the hills as much as possible.
0: This is Katherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the SAG Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the Internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe please visit 27east.com slash subscribe and thank you for your support.
3: So when the Shinnecock have in the past received remains, um, I know that you've done a lot of work to reclaim remains that are in the possession of natural history museums and the Shinnecock want to reinter them and maybe in the future It comes up that there's a property that's being developed, and the best option is to remove and reinter the remains. Do you have a process for that? Do you know, uh, is there like a mortuary on site, or does everything, would all the remains be located in the same Shinnecock Cemetery?
5: So when we rematriate remains, we like to rebury them um, as close as possible to the location that they were taken from. So it's very case-by-case specific. In some instances, unfortunately, um, we're not quite sure where the remains came from. So in that instance, we do a ceremony of apology to our ancestors that this, this happened to them, that they were displaced. And we rebury um, uh, uh, you know where we, where we can. We work really closely with like the Nature Conservancy and the Baconic Land Trust and the Sisters of St. Joseph and other um, land owners um, who have preservation um, and conservation ethics. Um, but but again, it's very case by by case specific and usually related to um, the the original location of, of where the remains were or funerary objects were taken.
2: I'm curious, Tila, the changeover from Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, to Governor Kathy Hochul, how did that change the conversation about this legislation? Because I know this is legislation that, that, that's been in the works for a long time, and I suspect it. It stretched over a couple of uh, administrations.
5: I think it's a little too early to say. I do think that this... Uh, piece of legislation, as well as some other legislation um, that's currently in session, um, such as, as the bill that would create an Office of Native American Affairs um, in Albany to um, increase um, the interaction and improve the relationship with the executive and the agencies. Um, it, it's very promising. Um, um, and I think the relationship it's, it's developing. I think that there's a lot of education that we've had to do throughout this process, um, just to make sure that, um, we're all cognizant of some of the historical injustices and, um, and that we really bring light some of the hard truths and, and work towards, um, Uh, reconciliation and and, um, all of these things. And so, um, you know, we always have to retain that hope that we can um, improve relations um, with this with the state. And so we remain hopeful that this is a sign um, of of good uh, things to come.
2: I have to ask you guys, you're, you're both part of sort of the new generation of leaders in the Shinnecock Nation. And in the last 10 years or so, after a long history of wrongs, there have been a lot of steps taken to try and address some of those wrongs and to try and repair some of the damage. And there's real progress being made, I think, on a lot of fronts. Um, that do you ever take a step back and just kind of marvel at, at, you know, for, for the longest time, I think, I think this seemed like a futile fight. It just seemed like the nation wasn't making much progress. And there's been a fight, a bit of progress in the last 10 years or so on this front that has to be reassuring. And it has to, to give you some sense of pride.
4: Well, I, I think what needs to be, kind of that goes unsaid about this progress that we've made is that our parents and their parents' generation has been fighting the fight without a lot of the tools that we currently have at our disposal, being in the generation of technology, social media, and really being able to drive our narrative a lot more um, than our, our previous generations were able to do just because of lack of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say that myself and Miss Cho's were basically raised Um, to advocate by our parents and their parents' parents. So I think the biggest difference is really just the way that technology has allowed us to get out our message, to clear up uh, inaccuracies about us, um, and to get our message out. And when we do get our message out, people are receptive to it because it's a message that a lot of people can hold on to and identify with. Um, you know, we've struggled for generations to keep our land and be under attack of some of the most richest people in the world. And I think that's a compelling narrative that we can now spread through social media.
2: Do you think that's true, Teela? Do you think technology played a big role in this?
5: I think so. And I also think that um, the younger generation, especially, is being um, exposed in their curriculum um, at school to some of the truths of colonization um, you know worldwide we have the Pope repudiating the doctrine of discovery which we know is at the heart of the land theft in this country. Um, we know that the doctrine of discovery is the foundation of American property law and especially um, American title law.
2: Can you ex- can you explain what that is Taylor? what the, the doctrine of the doctrine of discovery
5: is? So the Doctrine of Discovery is a a papal bull that was issued in, I think, 1592 um, that said that it was okay for Catholic people to take land from people who had dark skin because people with dark skin didn't know how to manage land. And so um, that really allowed for a lot of the colonization, not only in the United States, but around the world. Um, and it becomes very problematic, like, right? It's like this Catholic um, this Catholic law that then becomes American law when the Cherokee Nation was removed from their territory in the Trail of Tears, it was used by the United States Supreme Court to justify, justify the taking of the land. And so um, it became so ingrained in the United States um, uh, law. It was used as recently as 2005 in New York against the Oneidas in the city of Cheryl case. Um, that was a case by um, Ruth Ginsburg um, that she, you know, at, the end of her life called uh, one of her most regrettable decisions that she ever made in her career, but it was based on the doctrine of discovery, and it dispossessed the Oneida of their land, and then later on, when Shinnecock was in the same federal circuit, it was used as precedent to, um, to... Say that the dispossession of Shinnecock land was okay, and so you have this legal fallacy that is now repudiated. Say this is not this is not a Catholic teaching to discriminate based on the color of one's skin. Um, and so now we have a lot of work to do to unravel this doctrine from not only our federal law but also our state law and our institutions and the way that we treat indigenous people. And you know, we we're in the Hamptons, you know, where we're ruled by the real estate industry. Every time you're at a closing table and you're looking at title, it's all it's it's all based on this great American fallacy, like Shinnecock the title to all of our lands was stolen from us and I think that that's it's it's an uncomfortable truth but it's something that I think through education and learning that younger generations are cognizant of and I think that they want to build a more equitable future and especially With climate change and the climate crisis, there's a lot of people looking to Indigenous people for stewardship and, um, like, um, just survival because we, um, you know, even though we were dispossessed of our land through these these false laws and deeds like we still retain the knowledge of of how to steward the lands appropriately and we care about the lands because our ancestors are buried in them it's our duty to, to protect them and so I really I do see that things are changing and I think that with social media we're able to um uh, uh, have a huge force for, for social change and and um and education, which is critical in moving um moving this forward. And again, like Chairman Polite said, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, and this has been a uh, decades of advocacy. Um, that uh, you know, it it's it's a result of a very large collective effort.
2: Yeah, Brian, it's worth making that point that that. Um, this is the success that comes after years and years and years of fights by the generation before you and the generation before that. And I'm thinking of, of Becky Genia and the fights, you know, she's kept it in the public eye for her entire, you know, for, for as long as I can remember, she's been fighting this fight. So it's it's really reaping benefits that that a lot of other people fought those battles for years. But I think it's amazing that, these successes are coming even as the value of the land. And you're saying we're dr- we're driven by real estate. The value of the land is so much more than it was. That would seem to be a much higher battle, you know, to make it a tough, tough steeper hill to fight. And you're still able to make these successes. And it, it's, it's I think, a, a reassuring sign that we're, we're still trying to right these wrongs. Yeah. And
4: this might be a little counterintuitive, especially given the political climate in the country right now, but as uh, Tila had said before, I think minds are a lot more uh, receptive to social justice and social change than they ever were, honestly. Um, in certain parts of my life growing up in the 90s, um, you know, the early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of outcry, at least it wasn't really picked up a lot by the media on a lot of these issues that affected Indian country. After Standing Rock, I mean, it exploded really on a national level of Indian advocacy. The last time something like that happened really was in the 1970s with the AIM movement um, it' just really kind of you know a precursor to what's going on now obviously it was a lot more intense um, with them but that was a decade that was filled with a lot of Native
2: American advocacy um what, what else about this do do we need to know what is there anything more that we haven't asked you that that we should talk about?
4: No I just really want to thank everybody from uh, assemblyman deal the tribal members, the grace Protection warrior Society the various, Congress, I mean, uh, Assemblymen, uh, state senators, the governor—passing um, legislation in Albany is not easy. Doing it during a budget is even harder. Um, and it really took a collaborative effort of a lot of uh, dedicated individuals to get this legislation passed. And just want to say thank you.
2: Great. That's great stuff. And congratulations um, on getting it through. And and it's a demonstration that sometimes you stick these things out, and you can you can score miraculous victories sometimes. Huh?
4: So thank you, guys. Thank you for covering this.
2: Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for taking the time today.
1: 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. Suffolklaw.com.
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.